Christian life is dead simple, isn't it? The Christian life is, uh, well, so simple we almost miss it. There's only one thing that we have to do before we die, and that's to be like Jesus. That's it. Uh, We make it far more complicated sometimes in our understanding, but actually the call on your life and mine is to be like him. And Paul wrote uh, uh, it like this when he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, basically, you've got to let God's Spirit work in you day by day, changing you day by day into what? Into His likeness. And he said, why? Was that really God's plan? Was it a a last-minute, sudden decision? No, because when Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, from the beginning of time, God's plan is that you might be like his son, Jesus Christ. And I want us to think about that this evening in the context of us as a church. Uh, And we could unpack it, perhaps in lots of uh, different ways. Uh, Are we like Jesus in his character? Are we like Jesus in his faith? Uh, Well, probably not uh, uh, with either. Uh, Sometimes we're disturbed by the purity of Jesus' character, which seems so far from our own. Sometimes we're amazed by his faith, taking five loaves and two fish and transforming them into the feast that he did. Wow, what would it be like to have faith like that? But what I want us to think about this evening is different from those. I want us to think about the impact that Jesus made on those around him. And that's uh, uh, what exercises me for these next uh, minutes or so. You see, what disturbs me when I think about the church, and, and I could be talking about the church, the wider church, but it's equally true about us in many ways, what disturbs me is the lack of impact we make on those around us. Jesus was always impacting people, wasn't he? It wasn't always good. He made some people really angry. He made some people really blessed. People were drawn to him or driven away from him. We don't read much in the Gospels of people being ambivalent or apathetic about Jesus. He pressed their buttons for good or for ill. The Pharisees hated him for it. But the blind men, those who understood their sinfulness and their fallenness, loved him for it. Yet we people who are supposed to live in his image, by and large, don't really bother anybody. It's not very often, certainly, that the world outside gets uh, interested in us, or do they get angry about us. There are some exceptions, of course, but generally speaking, we live out our own little life together here at Burlington, and nobody is disturbed by us or particularly bothered about us. How come? How come Jesus every day of his life was pressing people's buttons left, right and centre, but we for all our energy and our effort, people pass us by and say, oh well, that's what they do, that's what they do. Bless. Bless. Have we lost something? 
Are we doing something different from Jesus? Have we, have we lost some kind of edge that He had? Well, maybe we have. And Jesus said that if, you, if you've got faith in Me, you'll, you'll do what I have been doing. You'll do even greater things. What might that mean? It might mean that we'll make greater impact on the world, that more people will be blessed, and the converse of that might be true. More people will get out of their pram about us. But by and large, nobody really minds that we're here this evening, as long as we don't disturb them in the process. It's true, of course, that Jesus expected His followers to make a big impact on those around. Go into all the world and make disciples of all kinds of different people. Of all nations, of all people groups. Of all groups within groups, within groups. Uh, the word is, is very elastic. D- find a group of people and make disciples of those people. And find a different group. And may, He expected us to have a big impact. But He also expected us, did He not, to have a rather negative impact. He says, when you get hauled before the synagogue rulers. Not if, but when. When you uh, face persecution, I will then be with you and give you the words to say. And so there was this, there was this uh, 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 ministry of Jesus for three short years that has made this incredible impact on the world, both positively and negatively. And then we, the church, living out His purpose, made in His image, hardly bother anybody at all. Why? Well, that's as far as I got in my sermon, so the rest is up to you. (laughs) Why? Well, maybe because our agendas are slightly different to his. I just want to unpack just a few things this evening that were true about Jesus' ministry that that we know, but it's easy for us perhaps to lose sight of. It's easy for us to forget. Because whatever else we should be doing as the church, we're supposed to be carrying on what he started. As the Father, he said at the end of his life, as the Father sent me to do all this stuff, hey, now I'm sending you. You go do the same thing. So we might expect a similar kind of reaction. He's our model. He's our pattern for this kind of living. Well, firstly, Jesus was people-orientated. He was people-orientated. He wasn't interested in events or programs He was interested in people. As far as we know, Jesus didn't plan any projects or programs or outreach events. He just went about showing his interest in people. You don't have to read the Gospels for long to understand that even though Jesus was the Son of God and could have floated his way through life distant from ordinary people, You don't read the Gospels for long to understand that Jesus' style was to be right up close and personal with people. He got up close to the thief and to the prostitute and to the blind man and to the rich young ruler and to the religious leader and to a fisherman, a child, a housewife, a mother, an invalid. It's all there. Right up close and personal to people. Apostle John when he wrote his Gospel, records about 20 days of Jesus' life. That's all it is. If you read Matthew, Mark and Luke, it it reads like a story. Uh, Read John's Gospel, it's a series of encounters with people. Individual people, by and large. And then I think about our church life, which is really busy with events and programs and deadlines to meet and things to organize and strategies about certain approaches and X, Y, and Z. And Jesus just spent his time up close with people. 
And I'm not suggesting for one moment that we should be anti-events or anti-programs. I mean, for goodness sake, uh, we lead a church that's bursting with events and programs. But how tragic if we replace all of these good activities with what we ultimately should be doing, which is getting up close and personal with people. Right where they are in their point of need. A thief, a prostitute, a blind man, a rich young ruler, a religious person, a housewife, an invalid, a blind beggar, whatever it was. Maybe David Watson was right when he said it's doubtful whether any evangelism is effective without prayerful and persistent work with individuals. Uh, When I was in uh, Romania uh, uh, at Otti's church, whenever that was last, uh, or maybe the time before, I was preaching at a baptismal service. And uh, as you know, you heard him talk last week, the the ministry of reaching out to uh, gypsy families. And uh, by and large, out of the 19, most if not all of them were from uh, a gypsy ethnic background. And uh, quite remarkable. It's like Jews winning Samaritans for Jesus. And yet that, that was what happened. So there were 19 of them to be baptized. There's two problems with that. The first problem is that the testimonies take a really long time, even by Romanian standards. You imagine 19 on a Sunday morning. That would sort your roast dinner out, wouldn't it? Flip. The second problem with baptizing 19 people, and uh, because it's Romania, everything's ish, and they've got the baptistry, which is kind of suspended in the wall. And the longer the water stays in this baptistry, you can see it seeping down the sides of the wall and the plaster uh, uh, falling off. So there's two reasons to, uh, to be most prayerful when that many people are being baptized. Now, even by Romanian standards, whose services just go on ad infinitum, or so it appeared, even they understood that 19 testimonies was too much for one morning service. And so they have a service on the Thursday evening, and the service on the Thursday evening was just for them to share their testimonies before then being baptized on the Sunday. How cool was that? So uh, it was just as I had arrived, I got off the plane, they drove me straight through Bucharest, we got back just in time for this service, and I sat down next to uh, whoever it was, turned out to be a chap called A.D., who was going to interpret for me, as these 19 people gave their testimonies. And uh, because he was interpreting, and because it was people's stories, you know, in a sense you'd expect uh, from one person to the next to be quite repetitive. So he was kind of giving me the nuts and bolts as it was going, rather than every single word. What was fascinating about listening to it in that kind of context was that it it hit me, uh, perhaps in a fresh way, that the reason every single person was standing up there in that church, so culturally out of place, they were standing there because they'd met Jesus, was because before they met Jesus, they met a Christian who'd really cared for them. Every single testimony was about a friend so-and-so. A friend so-and-so who loved me, cared for me, got alongside me, whatever it might be. And it's a lesson, a reminder to us all, that however brilliant and good our programs and our events and goodness knows what is, if we're going to make the impact Jesus did, then we have to get up close and personal. And I guess the trouble with our church life is it's easy to hide behind doing our events and our programs, and to put all our effort into those things. And sometimes, you know, it frightens me that I'm so driven 
And maybe you can relate to this. I'm so driven by the things that I need to achieve, or at least I think I need to achieve, because they're there on, on, on one list or another. I'm driven by those things that I'm in danger of missing the woman at the well had she wandered out to talk to me. You ever felt like that? Have you ever been at the coffee machine at work? And you're just too focused on what was happening next to miss the person who'd wombled out and could have done with a chat. Pretty scared too that I'd be so focused on where I was going that I would have missed Zacchaeus up the tree. We don't look up enough, do we? So who are the people that are around us that God's saying, up close and personal? That's the deal. That's what makes the difference. Michael Green, uh, 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 an Anglican for whom forgiveness can be offered, uh, uh, writes extensively about evangelism. He says the church is too formal, too busy with its programs to bother about the feelings and heart cries of ordinary people. Ouch! The evangelist is too preoccupied with his message his delivery, his impact, to bother too much about the individual. We cease to feel the heartbeat of hurting people. Is that why Jesus made such an impact? Because he felt their heart beat. And I've said this to you before, it's interesting uh, watching uh, uh, what happens when people come to our home. Because children are very intuitive, aren't they? And... uh, uh, it's very interesting to watch our children's reactions when people come to our home that they do not know. It takes them about mm, half a second to suss whether the person who's come through the door will get their heartbeat or whether they won't. And I wonder what people think about us. You're just too busy with your stuff? Am I too busy with my stuff? Probably. Probably. Second thing is, Jesus was for people up close and personal. Second thing is found here in Luke chapter 5 that Chris uh, read to us. Perhaps you'd just like to have it open in front of you for a moment. Uh, It's kind of fascinating uh, in this regard. Because where do you find Jesus in Luke chapter 5? Where is he? Is he in the church? No. Is he in the synagogue? No. You find him down by the lake. What did they do down by the lake? Well, they were fishermen. He was at their place of work. He was in the midst of their ordinary lives. That's where he was. Was it a Monday morning, a Tuesday morning? I don't know. Where was Jesus? He was right there in the heart of their ordinary life. He wasn't tucked away in some prayer meeting somewhere, although he certainly got up early to pray so that he wouldn't disturb uh, or interrupt his time for people. That's where he was. He was on a hillside, and if he's not on a hillside, he's by a lake. If he's not by a lake, he's out in the streets. Sometimes he's at a party, sometimes he's in someone's house. And oh, occasionally, occasionally you hear about him popping into the church, uh, the synagogue, or the temple. Jesus did not spend most of his days focused around the synagogue or the temple, as if that's the place where it all happens. Now, I wish it was the place, as a minister, where it all happens. But maybe this is where we've got it slightly wrong. Jesus was out there, because that's the place where it really happens, it would seem, from the way he modelled his ministry. And notice what happens, okay? He spends some time uh, with the crowd. Uh, He's with the people, uh, and they're crowding around him, and they're listening to the word of God. So he's preaching to them. 
Sounds like a jolly good thing to do. And, uh, and there he is. And he gets to the end of his message, after verse 3. And what do we read at the end of Jesus' preaching? Did they flock forward and give their lives to him? Did they fall on their knees and repent of all their sin? Did they sign a commitment card? Did they go forward and get handed by a counsellor a, a four steps to heaven card? No. At the end of Jesus' preaching, absolutely nothing. It thrills every preacher with real hope. If the Son of God can preach his heart out down in the lake where the people are and there's no response, diddly squat, hey, perhaps I'm not doing a bad thing after all. No response. But notice what happens then, verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, crowd are just going, oh, well, whatever. Whatever. Heard that one before. The jokes were old. That illustration has been done by somebody else. He nicked that off the internet. No response to what Jesus has said. So Jesus, after his teaching, he says to Simon, go on, put out, your, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch, verse 4. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. It's absolutely ridiculous putting your nets down. But admire the guy, because you say, even though I think it's totally stupid, because you say, okay, I'll do it, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, this is the first response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions, suddenly there's a response from the companions too, were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. The lesson, preaching alone does not do it. An encounter with the living God is what people need in their ordinary lives. How are they going to meet the living God in their ordinary lives, they're going to do that by ordinary Christian people going there in the power of Jesus Christ. So we get the response after they've seen the reality of the presence of God. Question, when you go into the ordinary places this week, will people get a glimpse of the power of the living God because of what you are doing in and around those places? Forget about what happens in the church on Sunday. Hey, this is down in the, in the workplace. And there in that place, there was an encounter with the living God. You see, we expect it all to happen in here, don't we? And it's great when it does happen in here. But most of what Jesus modelled was it happening out there, some way, somehow. And that's a lot harder for us. So just think for a moment about where your ordinary life would be. Where are you on a Monday morning, a Tuesday morning, a Wednesday, whatever it is? Where's the lake for you? And you might think to yourself, goodness, uh, I'm no preacher, just as well. Jesus preached, it didn't make a blindest bit of a difference. Or at least that's not what the impression of the passage gives. But then when the power of God was made known, people began to glimpse and they began to fall on their knees, recognize their poverty, before the reality of the living God. And I think we need to capture something about uh, that's what we need to uh, release you into doing day by day. I'm stuck here in church. Feel sorry for me, stuck here in church with Christians all of the time. You guys can get out there and make a difference. 
I remember being in, uh, in Holland uh, for the, uh, 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 oh, I don't know when it was, for some missionary conference. This was, uh, this was when we were young and uh, almost fancy free. We got engaged in Holland. No, it wasn't like that. We were sleeping in dormitories of about 2,000 people each. And uh, uh, I thought, crikey, this is no good. I better get married. So, uh, <laughs> so I said to Carrie, what do you reckon? She said, well, may as well. It was freezing. Okay, so uh, why were we there? We were there for this missionary conference. And I can remember on the, on the New Year's Eve, and, and imagine it, there must have been seven, 8,000 young people from all across Europe. And... and uh, you know, a good number of them, really serious about wanting God to do something really significant in their lives. And on the, on the New Year's Eve, uh, they gave a call for people to come forward to give their lives in full-time Christian work. You know the drill. To be missionaries, to be pastors and all that kind of stuff. And hey, loads of people went forward. And, and how exciting that was, that, that loads of people would say, hey, I, I want to give my life in this kind of way to seeing people one for Jesus. But then it bothered me. But then it bothered me. Because what did it say to all those who didn't get up that night? Because God was calling them to be solicitors and bankers and, and shop stewards and whatever it might be. Somehow was their calling second best? Was it not as good? Did it not count as much in God's agenda? Well, if they gave that impression, I'm sure they never meant to. And we must make sure we never do. You see, it's like when I was ordained, I was a bit sort of bothered by it and embarrassed by it all at the same time. Why this big service to recognise what God had called me to do, when hopefully you're all doing what he's called you to do anyway. And you're getting on with it quietly and prayerfully. And for me there was a big song and dance, and tea and green cups and quiche afterwards. God bless you. Hey, what about recapturing something of the calling on all our lives, don't you think? Isn't that what will make the difference? An army of people empowered by Christ down at the lake, wherever that might be. I was being called into the church, apparently. Thank God that you've been called out of these doors to make a difference in his name. And we need to recapture something of that vision, of what it might mean. As people like Whitfield and Wesley understood it, didn't they? They didn't preach in the churches, although they probably did, but they got outside and they didn't just preach outside, but they made a difference in people's lives. And it's no wonder the gospel began to make such a difference in factories, in coal mines, and wherever people heard. Not only the word preached, but it lived out in an authentic kind of way. And the final thing, and uh, briefly, can you imagine being in his presence? Some people have a presence about them, don't they? In fact, we all have presences about us, for good or for ill. Some of us, that presence is more obvious. Sometimes it's not. What would it have been like to be in the presence of Jesus? What would it have been like as he walked into a room? What would it have been like as uh, you just sat and listened to what he said? Sensing that every word came from heaven. What would that have been like? 
No wonder when Jesus spoke, they were gripped. Even people screwed up with demons. The demons suddenly woke up and said, golly, we've never heard anything like this for yonks. And the ordinary people said, this has got power. This has got authenticity. This is different from the scribes and the religious people. There's something about this. What was it that made Peter fall on his knees? He didn't fall on his knees, did he, and say to Jesus, hey, teach me how to fish like that. Which is what you might have expected. No. Suddenly he understood he was in the presence of the living God. And he fell on his knees and said, I'm a sinful man. After healing the paralytic, everybody was amazed. The Bible says they were filled with awe. Uh, We've never seen things like this, they said to one another. And we're sick of being told that we're in this postmodern world. But I tell you something, this postmodern world wants some experience. And it wants some authenticity. It wants people to rise up, head and shoulders above the others, because the living God is fanning into flame his presence in them. Wouldn't that be good? For people to sit up and notice and hear me in the right way when we walk into the room. Not because it's anything to do with us. In fact, because they can see that it's nothing to do with us. In our frailty, in our weakness, they sense in us there is something way beyond us at work. Wasn't that Jesus' heart for his people? Be filled with the Spirit and be my witnesses. And surely that's what uh, Paul was expecting when he wrote to the church in Corinth and he talked about the unbeliever coming in from outside and experiencing what was going on and falling on the floor and saying, wow, God is really in this place. We could do with a bit of that, couldn't we? God is really here. Well, that's down to you and it's down to me. Because actually the responsibility to be filled with the presence of God so that His almighty fire and light and brightness and mercy and grace and justice is pouring out of us day by day. Responsibility for that lies with us. Jesus did not say that trickles of living water will flow. But great and mighty rivers will flow from within you if you understand that the only person that can do that for you is Jesus. And so on the last and greatest day of the feast, when they'd been uh, uh, giving thanks for everything there is in life, when they'd given thanks for it all, Jesus gets up and says, if you're still thirsty, if you recognize in your heart there's more, then know it only comes from me. And so for a people that have a presence, because God is at work, It's great when something a bit like that happens, isn't it? It's great when someone comes into church and says, wow, there's something different about that place. That sometimes happens. Praise God when that happens. But for more of that, when there's a tangible feeling of God's presence, that's what people are looking for. People are fed up with theology. In our world, they want to know whether it works. So let's show people a life that works, for heaven's sake. And they'll really want to hear what we have to say. The trouble is, they look at the church and they say, that doesn't work either. 
And they look at my life and they say, that doesn't work. And without great waddles of guilt, we just need to take a quiet responsibility and say, oh God, I'm really sorry. Well, I'm really sorry when my Christian life is so under par that people think it doesn't work. Bring me back to that place. That whatever's going on in my world, there is in me a peace that makes no sense. A peace that makes no sense. A peace that's beyond all understanding. Maybe then we'd make an impact. And by the way, people would get pretty uptight with us too. Because we'd be confronting the status quo. Sorry to mention status quo in two services on a Sunday. Instead of them saying, whatever, let's leave those Christians be, they couldn't leave Jesus be, because if he was right, it was everything. I want people to think there is such a high chance that we're right that they cannot just leave us be. Wouldn't you like that? They either have to join us or knock us, because they cannot say any more, it doesn't matter. Lord, we're sorry. Lord, we're sorry. When people outside can simply say, hey, it doesn't matter. Let's pray.